Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I grew up in a road-tripping family. We lived in Georgia, and most of my extended family lived in the Midwest. So a few times every year, my parents would pile all three kids in the station wagon. Inevitably, I got that way back, rear-facing seat, and we would hit the highway. And if you spend very much time on the road, then you come to be very grateful for rest stops, right? They provide restrooms and water fountains, of course. There's often a place for antsy kids to run around and burn off some energy. In some places in the country, rest stops also have gas stations and fast food options. As an adult, I have pulled into rest stops for important phone conversations that I didn't want to be driving during. I've taken a quick power nap in a rest station parking lot. But for all of the times that I have stopped at a rest stop over the years, I have never once vacationed at one. Because that would be a ridiculous thing to do. Rest stops are not destinations. They're places that help you get to your destination. Your stop there might be longer, it might be shorter, depending on what you need. Sometimes you need to stop for a while to get a meal, a walk, a nap. Sometimes it's just in and out and you're back on the road. But no matter what, rest stops aren't places that you stay. So why am I belaboring this entirely obvious point? Because I want to suggest that church is actually like a rest stop. Church, by which I mean not the building, but the worshiping community, is a place where we stop for a time It's a place where our souls rest, or get filled up, or release their energy in praise and prayer. Church is a place where we stop for a while, but it's not our destination. But the problem is that it's awfully tempting to treat church like it's our destination. We might think of our worshiping community like it's our home. It's the place we come to be comfortable. It's the place where we get to be among people who know us, who like us, who are like us. It's the place where we know where everything is and how everything is done, where we know what the house rules are and mostly everybody follows them. Church can feel like home. Or... Maybe we think of church a little bit more like our vacation house. It's the place we go to get away from everything. Church is the place that we come to because we want to leave behind all that is ugly in day-to-day life. The bad news, the politics, the stresses of work and family. Church is where we can go to escape all of that and just enjoy to enjoy time with the Lord and with friends, to enjoy music and fellowship, prayer and coffee. Church is like our vacation house. Now, don't get me wrong. 
there are aspects of both of those things that are true. When we gather as a worshiping community, there is a sense of home as we experience deep belonging and comfort. And church does offer us a bit of respite, time when we can focus our attention on God in ways that we don't during the day-to-day stuff of life. And those are both good and true and beautiful things about church. But at the end of the day, church is not our destination. It's our rest stop. That's what's captured in the portion of the post-communion prayer that we are looking at this morning. We're spending this season of Lent using this prayer to help us answer the question, what does it mean to be church? So over the last three Sundays, we looked at the first sentence of the prayer, long sentence, but one. It says, Heavenly Father, we thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. So we talked about how Being church means that, both as individuals and as a community, we experience an encounter with God. We talked about how our spirits are nourished in the sacrament of communion, and how we are reminded of our need for and of the presence of a Savior. We talked about the goodness of being assured that we belong to the Father in heaven and to each other in the body of Christ. And we talked about the gift of being children of God and ones through whom God is building the rule and the reign of his kingdom. So in that first sentence of the post-communion prayer, we thank God for all that God has done for us in our worship together. But after that first sentence, the prayer shifts. And now, it says. All of that stuff being true, that in worship God has fed us and assured us that we are loved and that we belong to him, with all that being true, now send us out to do the work you have given us to do. Send us out. It's really, it's the hinge of the whole prayer. Send us out. That's what it means to be church. That's what it means to be a worshiping community, to be people who are sent out. Church isn't the destination. It's the rest stop. The destination is out there. The destination is out there because out there is where the work is that God has given us to do. Because God has given us all work to do. No matter who we are, no matter how young or old we are, no matter how educated or not, wealthy or not, able-bodied or not, all of us, God has given all of us work to do. And what is that work? It's to love and serve God. 
the prayer says. Send us out to do the work you have given us to do, comma, to love and serve you. To love and serve you functions as what we grammar nerds call an appositive phrase. It renames the thing that just came before it, right? So we're not saying, send us out to do the work you've given us to do and to love and serve you. We're saying, send us out to do the work you've given us to do, which is to love and serve you. Send us out to love and serve you. That is our prayer every week as we conclude our worship. Send us out, Lord, to love and serve you, because that is the work that God has given every one of us to do. Which is all well and good, but what's it actually look like? What does it look like to love and serve God? Well, you probably can't get a better picture of what it looks like to love and serve God than Jesus. Jesus' whole life, his whole being, was about loving and serving his Father. And how did he do that? He loved and served his Father by loving and serving us. That's what John is saying When he writes in his first letter, chapter 3, verse 16, by this we know love. You want to know what love looks like? This is what it is. That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. Jesus laying down his life for us shows us what love is. So then, if we want to love, the conclusion is obvious. John writes, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, obviously, there is a way that Jesus laying down his life for us was unique to Jesus. As fully God and fully man, Jesus' sacrificial death and his resurrection was unique. It was the one unrepeatable act of love that reconciles us with God. But we are still called to be imitators of Jesus. We are called to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, one commentator I was reading uh, this week notes that, you know, it's really easy to be like, sure, 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 I'd lay down my life for you, no problem. Because we're probably never in the community that we live in going to be faced with a time when we have to do that. There are people around the world, as we know, who do face that challenge to martyrdom. But for most of us, we are never literally going to be asked to lay down our lives for somebody else. But that doesn't get us off the hook. And that's what John then says in in verse 17. He says, okay, you want to know what love is? It's laying down your life, Jesus laying down his life for you. So you should lay down your life for each other. And then he says, so if you have the goods of the world, if you have material resources, and there's a brother or sister in need and you don't give your resources to them, then the love of God does not abide in you, he says. You want to know what self-sacrificing love looks like? It looks like meeting the needs 
of your brother or sister. So when we are called to love and serve God, that means that we are called to love and serve others in ways that are sacrificial and costly, just as Jesus loves us. So the work that God has given us to do is to go out and to love and serve him by loving and serving others. But that's not all. That's not all the prayer says. It says, send us out to do the work you've given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. It would be easy to say, just go out, be good people, be nice people, make the world a better place, and that's the work God's given you to do. But it's not. The work God has given you to do is to love and serve him by loving and serving others as witnesses of Christ our Lord. We're not called to be good do-gooders. We're called to be witnesses. John captures this in verse 23. He says, this is God's commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another just as he has commanded us. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Now, John isn't talking here just about some intellectual assent. Yes, I believe that Jesus was the son of God. He's saying, believe in his name. Believe that he is all that he says that he is. Believe that he is the Lord and live in that belief and love one another. So when we are called to love and serve God by loving and serving others, we are called to show Jesus' love and to tell about Jesus' love. Both of those are integral pieces of what it means to be a faithful witness of Christ our Lord. If you look on the back of your bulletin, the last page, or maybe it's on the back, I'm not sure, you'll see our mission, our vision, and our values. And you'll note, if you haven't memorized them already, that one of our values is outreach that demonstrates in word and action Jesus' love for all people. We were very intentional about that language as a vestry when we were writing these values because we want to demonstrate in word and action Jesus' love. So it means doing good things, doing acts of love and service, but it also means being witnesses, testifying to the love of God. A lot of people want to run scared from the room whenever anyone says the word evangelism. It's frequently talked about as the E word. But there are ways that we can love and serve God in word and deed that don't have to be scary. One of the things I've appreciated, Pat Reader has often talked about sharing our God stories, right? What are the stories of 
ways that God has shown up in our lives, things that he has done in our lives. Those are our stories, and we can tell them. Not in an obnoxious, stop everybody on the street corner and make them listen to you kind of way, but in conversation with your friends, your neighbors, people who maybe don't know Jesus. You're just talking about your lives, and you can say, well, you know what? In my life, this, this happened, and, and this is how God showed up for me in that. That is sharing the good news and the love of God in word, as well as when we share the love of God in deed by what we do for others. So we can do this in our lives, no matter what our circumstances. There is always someone in our life that we are coming into contact with who we can love in word and in deed. And as a community right now, one of the things we're focusing on is how do we do outreach in word and action, particularly to the empty nesters and seniors around us. That's not the only people we want to reach out to. Those are not the only people who matter. But right now, that is a particular call that we are looking for ways to live out. Not in ways that are terribly difficult, not in ways that are outside too much of the things that we normally do, but we are trying to think about what does it mean as a community to be intentional about going out to do the work God has given us to do, to love and serve God by loving and serving in word and in action those in the community around us. You'll note, again, on that last page in the bulletin, that our mission statement is this, to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That is a very intentionally active statement. Our mission is not to hope people find Jesus. Our mission is not to sit still and grow in Jesus. Our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. That means each other. We support each other in our growing relationship with Jesus. And it means that we are intentionally showing and telling people about Jesus' love. That's what it means to be his faithful witnesses. Now, I want to be very clear. This is not a call to go do a lot of stuff. I had a pastor in college who said, nowhere in the Bible does it say, come get tired for Jesus. <laughs> the call, the thing that we pray when we ask God to send us out, it follows all of those assurances that we have in the first sentence of the prayer. God has assured us of his love and his mercy. He has assured us of who we are as his children, and it is because we are deeply rooted in that identity that we then go out to do this work that he has given us to do. There may be times when what God calls us to do is challenging. Pretty much always it's going to pull us a little outside our comfort zone. But this is not about finding 16 different projects to do. This is about listening to God wherever we are and seeking to love others in word and in action 
wherever he has placed us. When I was in my second year of seminary, I was doing a, what they call the field education placement. So I was interning about 10 or 12 hours a week at an Episcopal church in the suburbs of Boston. And so at the beginning of the school year, all of the students who were in field education sites all over the city, everybody in the, in the school who was gonna be in field education came together for a commissioning service. And at that commissioning service, we were all prayed for and we were sent forth to do the work that God had called us to do, to do those field education placements. And they actually gave us little buttons, pins, that said, sent forth, exclamation point. And I put that pin on my backpack (laughs) that year because it reminded me every time that I was driving out to Norwood to spend my time at the church, every time I was preparing a sermon, every time that I had been sent forth to do that work. And so I want us to hear, friends, that we are all sent forth. We are sent forth to do the work that God has given us to do, to love and to serve him as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. Church is not our destination. It's our rest stop. We come We are fed, we are fueled, we are revived, and then we are sent forth to do the work God has given us to do. So let's go. Amen.